Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one. Which is nothing! Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Macabriani. <laughs> I am Adam Tracheotomy Thomas. <laughs> and uh, with us is the... Horror Returns host himself, Liberius Lance Langford. Lance, how are you? Oh, man, so excited, so excited. Yes, uh, he is, of course, our guest from the previous Zombies episode, but this time he is going to help us in the intro for our topic this week, which is children's horror, um, in honor of Goosebumps 2 is coming out. We decided, let's do what people might call the gateway horror movies for kids obviously like you know movies that are like spooky halloween horror themed but not necessarily too spooky to spook kids out like because as we talked about this adam it's an underrated subgenre of the horror genre oh 100 percent, man i mean there's quite a few out there that i still consider classics that i mean got me into the genre that still hold up like especially one of my earliest memories of horror was the monster squad mm-hmm the problem is that they're not coming out really that much anymore. I mean, you just got two this year, but that's really kind of it. Yeah, you know, I will say I liked the recent Jack Black one, The House with the Clock mm-hmm. in Its Walls. I thought it was mm-hmm. cute. Um, but what about uh, Lance? Uh, what was sort of a gateway horror movie for you? I don't know, man. I think I just kind of uh, sort of dove in. I actually uh, probably, well, we talked about it on the last episode, Night of the Living Dead was was a big one for me, but uh I don't know. I, I, I started doing more reading early, actually, uh, and that kind of got me into watching some of the horror movies. I was reading Stephen King at like, you know, 10 and 11 years old. So, uh, you know, after that, I like I probably watched The Shining at age 12 and Carrie at age 12 and, you know, burn, burn through all of those. So, you know, early, early zombie movies, um, ah, all the Vincent Price stuff, House of Wax. Not the remake, <laughs> yeah. but the original. Um, yeah, all all that stuff, man. I mean, I would say, like, the William Castle movies would be a good sort of older um, gateway horror movie thing. Say, yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, like the, the House on Haunted Hill, I think, is a great one. That's a great spook house of a movie. I will stand by, if you go back and listen to one of our really, really old episodes where we did uh, Miss Peregrine's Home, and uh, along with it, we did Willy Wonka. And I still say that's a horror movie. Um, well, it has the same structure as uh, Dawn of the Dead, pretty much, in that they come into this area and get picked off one by one. It's, it's very much That's structured true. that way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they just have the one line, just like, they're all back to their awful, terrible selves. It's like, oh, okay, they didn't die. Sure. Yeah, really. dude, and sure. I mean, I know it's been mentioned before, but that fucking boat ride 
It's the most terrifying, one of the most terrifying things ever. Oh, fucking loved it, dude. I had nightmares for weeks after that. Yeah, with the chicken getting decapitated, perfect children's <laughs> entertainment. Um, but let's uh, get back to the point of this intro, which is to pick our movies. So for those of you who might be here for the first time, each of us come to the table with two movies that the other doesn't know about between me and Adam. Uh, one has two good movies. This week it's me. One has two bad ones. That would be Adam. Under the guise of children's horror. And uh, usually we would pick a number between 1 and 10 from each other's picks, and we've each assigned both our movies two numbers, and whichever one gets closest to the other number, that is the movie we pick for both the good and the bad feature. But since Lance is here, Lance will be the one who will do the picking. So first, for my two good movies, Lance, number between 1 and 10. Uh, I'm going to repeat the Beatles and say number 9, number 9. Number nine. Oh, it's Pontypool all over again. <laughs> well, right directly at number nine, um, Adam, it's funny you mention Monster Squad. Yeah, from- yeah buddy. Shane Black. Yes, oh, Shane. That's awesome. Shane Black yes. and Fred Decker, yes. The 1987, essentially Goonies with the Universal Monsters in it. Um, nice. But then at number five, I did have um, one from my childhood that I loved, uh, The Witches with Angelica Houston. Oh, that's a great yeah. movie, too, man. Okay. Those are good, two good shots. I'm stoked about Monster Squad. And, you know, maybe I'm some sort of fucking sidekick or something. I don't know. Lance, another number between one and ten for Adam's two bad choices. Oh, God. I don't know where to go. I'll, I'll go right in the middle, number five. At number three, I have the classic Jim Varney, Ernest Scared Stupid. Oh, no. <laughs> you I know, <laughs> I, I, this, that was one I remember growing up with, Adam. I'm very curious uh, to revisit that's that. That's cool. At <laughs> number seven, I have The Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy. Oh, that would... ah, okay, we'll stick with Varney. Yeah, Varney's a way better choice. <laughs> I completely agree with that. Uh, but before we go, thank you, Lance, for being here. Of course, the horror returns, right? Everybody follow him over there, correct? That, yeah, of course. Thank you, man. I appreciate uh, you guys inviting me. Absolutely. Yes. And we'll be right back, boils and ghouls, with our double feature right after this. When you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're the Monster Squad. They're young and inexperienced. Naughty virgins! They're a bit disorganized. Kick him in the nose! He's a damn monster! Do it! Do it! Wolfman's got nerves! The Monster Squad. Rated PG 13. And we are back from our double feature, and uh, we brought along a new guest with us. It's Mr. Casey Gerard. Casey, how are you doing? I am doing fine. I'm really glad you called me lovely, even though it's pretty much a lie. Yes, it's a bold-faced lie. But, Casey, I brought you on here, like giving you the list of topics, and you immediately were drawn to the idea of kids' horror. What drew you to that as a topic? I really love horror made for kids. Like, I think it's incredibly creative. You look at a lot of, like, young kid stuff, like series like Courage Cowardly Dog, Scooby-Doo, or even stuff that is very schlocky, like Goosebumps, Are You Afraid of Dark? You will find some really unique episodes and really weird ideas. A lot of kids' entertainment does not necessarily take its audience very seriously, but that isn't necessarily the case with uh, kids' horror stuff. They are willing to go darker, and they're willing to treat the kids more seriously, and they're willing to have a real-world grasp for them. Like, I'm thinking about something like, I don't know, The Halloween Tree, which is a story where a kid dies of an appendix bursting. 
and it's about trying to save your dead friend. That's pretty cool. I was really excited, honestly, that we got this particular double feature, um, mainly because I know also that your sort of gateway to horror in your own right was the Universal Monsters, the Dracula's Frankensteins. Is that correct? More or less, yeah. I started in the 30s and I kind of worked my way upwards, mostly by coincidence, but hey, it worked out. I was actually really excited when it drew Monster Squad because I'd never seen it before. It's like, oh, I'm really glad to see that. And here's another movie I also have to see. <laughs> we'll get to that movie in a bit. <laughs> but let's start with Monster Squad, uh, which came out in 1987, August 14th, 1987. Um, a fan favorite of those in the horror genre, uh, directed by Fred Decker, co-written by him and Shane Black. And this is one of Shane Black's earliest screenplays. It's interesting that this came out the same summer as Lethal Weapon, which really launched his career. And this one didn't really do much for it because it wasn't very successful at the time it came out. Uh, for a $12 million budget, only made about four. And Adam, when we ended up picking up the movies for this week, I know you were really excited about Monster Squad because I believe this is a childhood favorite of yours. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This was one of the ones that I just rented over and over and over from the local video store. I can still remember the way the the old video, the case for it looked and everything. Casey, as someone who watched it for the first time for this episode, what was your impression of Monster Squad? Eh, it's fine. <laughs> good night, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's good. Perhaps it's very good. I can tell that I would have been the same way. I not only would have been a big fan of this movie, I would have been obsessive about it had I seen it when I was six or seven. But I straight up did not know this movie existed until I think I was like 21 or something. Yeah, admittingly, I actually saw this, interestingly enough. I was definitely outside of the age range to like be obsessive over this movie. I saw this in high school. And I remember, like, hearing a lot of people who were, like, just, you know, outside of my age range really loving Monster Squad. It was, like, their Goonies, um, more so than even Goonies was to some people. And I'd seen Goonies as a kid, and I remember being not the hugest fan. Controversial, like, I know every 80s kid fucking loves Goonies. I think Goonies is kind of overrated. I think it's... Really? It's a... I, I honestly, I think it's a mess of a fucking movie, and I don't like most of the kid characters. I, we'll get into that if we ever cover Goonies. Um, I don't hate it, but I just, I'm not the hugest fan of Goonies overall. Uh, but I really dug Monster Squad, even though, like I said, I was outside of the age range to like Monster Squad obsessively, necessarily, like Casey's talking about. I was really infatuated with it, I think because my problem with, say, like, uh, Goonies is, like, it's Richard Donner's, like, more grounded sensibilities mixed with, like, a big over-the-top adventure movie, and I think that clashes constantly, versus this feels more consistent in a whole, I think, with, like, these version of kids who have a grounded base in reality of some sort, but are also very much movie kids at the same time. I think they strike a better balance here with that, and combining that with monsters, I think, just really works, especially, we gotta say... These designs for these versions of the classic Universal Monsters, or they can't be called Universal Monsters, because this was a Columbia release at the time. Mm. Um, uh, this redesign still is so great for all these characters. Like, what would you say is your favorite of these redesigns, Adam? When I was younger, I really liked the Wolfman, but now it, it's definitely the uh, the Gill Man. I think the Gill Man is fantastic. The suit, the animatronic face, I think it's, it's just done so well. I know what you mean. The moment I looked at the Gilman, I finally understood what it must have been like for the woman in Shape of Water. Just really infatuated with him. 
Oh, I wanted to know what that gill. Uh, I can't talk about this on a kid friendly podcast. <laughs> Fuck no, you can't. This is for every single <laughs> yeah, kid. You think the gill man's got a red rocket? I think of like that bit in Shape of Water where it's like hidden, but it'll come out. The, the gill man's interesting, especially because this was like until Shape of Water, like a solid 30 year gap between that design and then like that for any kind of gill man, really. I can't think of another gill man in that space. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe the other one i can think of argue yeah probably i'm i'm sh- sure if you go down it you'll find a mystery science theater episode that has one besides return of the creature from the black lagoon but they are surprisingly rare for such an icon and even then like the return of the creature whatever the last one that they did was also in the 50s so that's like another 30 year cat it's like we just oh, have 30 oh. minute cycles with the the gill man it's a shame but i can't wait for uh fucking 20 45 when we get the new Gilman movie. But, you know, let's get back. I will say Gilman's a really good choice, but I honestly think that my favorite, and I think it has a lot to do with the guy behind it, is definitely Frankenstein. I think it's a classy version of Frankenstein. All of them have, like, a somewhat classic base to them, but they have, obviously, mm-hmm. the heightened special effects of the 80s. Stan Winston is obviously behind them, and I think Frankenstein has the best of sort of both worlds with it, and especially we gotta talk about, I would say, Tom Noonan as Frankenstein is a very underrated Frankenstein. I think he gets all of the like tragic tragedy of that character, the sweetness, and also they combine that with just some of the sort of more 80s things that work for that character in here, like him saying bogus, him picking up on certain cultural bits. Uh, I just, I, I'm so endeared. Like, the relationship between him and the younger sister, Ashley Bank, um, is, I think, the heart of the whole movie. Really reminded me of Boris Karloff, but not in a way that felt like he was just imitating him. It was, this is going to be a weird comparison, it reminded me of uh, Carl Urban's Dr. McCoy in Star Trek. It's like, you're your own thing, but you also know why the original works so well. Yeah, I get that. Tom Noonan is quite good in this. Uh, and, you know, I heard he can be quite a pain to work with, and but... um. Man, did he put it all out there for this? It's one of the great, best non, uh, you know, Karloff Frankenstein performances there has been, for sure. I mean, but then again, how many can you really think of? De Niro, De Niro, Clancy Brown, The Bride, Clancy Brown. Um, no, it's the one with Sting as Doctor Frankenstein, and oh, I've never seen that. I've I have never, never seen heard it. of this. Yeah, it's no. it's one. I think it's Jennifer Beals as the bride. It's it was an eighties movie. Oh, um, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Other than Karloff and Noonan, I mean, I throw Aaron Eckhart up there. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, no, he's he's fantastic, dude. I mean, he, and you're right. Him and uh, Phoebe's relationship is absolutely 100 percent the heart of the movie. And I mean, just how adorable. Was she in this too, Ashley Bank? She was one of the cutest little kids. Don't be shaking shit is yeah. one of my favorite lines. It's it's a great example of like how to have these kids. You know, like they curse, they do say. You know, it feels more grounded. That's the stuff that feels the most grounded to me. Is really how the kids sort of talk amongst each other. Um, and I, I think especially even with her, it feels like something she's picking up. She doesn't really know what chicken shit is. She doesn't know it's really a curse word, but she wants to be one of the monster squad she wants to be part of the club and what i like is that like um fred decker kind of explained this that 
the movie is sort of like building up to them being the squad. They're a club before the climax of the movie, and by the climax, they become actually the squad because everybody gets their moment to really show themselves off and work together as a team. And I really agree with that. I think that's the most sort of um, structurally engaging thing about the movie is I feel like we get a development from all those characters before we get to their, you know, big climactic battle. I think it really mm. builds up to that quite well. And there are a lot of characters in this movie. The only other movie of its type I can think of with more is Goonies, which, like you said, doesn't always balance them. This was pretty well balanced. And in addition to that, I bought why these people know each other. I bought how they correlated. Uh, What's his name? The kid who looks like Corey Feldman, but older. Rudy? Yeah, Rudy. I bought why he, even though he doesn't really fit in with this clique, is still kind of hanging out with them. I bought why they were letting the little kid who found the monster in his closets uh, go along with them. It was the dynamics were pretty strong in a way I wasn't expecting. It's a lot to do with obviously like the combination of Decker and Shane Black, which we should talk about. Fred Decker is somebody who was came out of nowhere in the eighties and made a bunch of movies that nobody ever saw until it became like cult classic status with like this and night of the creeps. Those were like really big yep. ones. And then he made RoboCop three and his Ooh. career completely went downhill. And he only uh, did a few like episodes of enterprise. And then about two decades later, recently teamed up with Shane black again to write the predator. <laughs> I was listening to um, another podcast where he was on it, Fred Decker. And the thing about it is he was even saying on it, he never really wanted to be so much of a director though. He's always loved writing. Um, but he also said, you know, in hindsight, maybe I don't want to be a director anymore because of, he didn't name it by name, but he said, because I did the third movie in a trilogy, <laughs> he's like, it, it just ruined me. So, well, I mean, and with good reason that, that you could tell there was just studio hands all over that movie. You could see, you can see a lot of Shane Black in this movie as well, just with the relationships between the characters and whatnot. It's kind of a bummer Fred Decker didn't get to do really more because I think Night of the Creeps is one of the fantastic 80s cheese movie. And this is just a classic to me. So, I mean, I guess we could take away at least we got these out of him. I think that Shane Black's style really lended itself in a great way to this movie because he knows when to subvert things. He knows when to make parody. And even when it's not like subverting tropes of the old Universal movies, there's just great one-off lines in there. Like, how did the dog get up here anyway? <laughs> That's true. Well, it feels like there's a real sort of like stream of consciousness kid logic going on with the movie. It definitely feels like the two of them came together. It's like, okay, what did we think of when we were kids and we watched these Universal Monster movies? What were the discussions we had and what do we want to see sort of come out of this? What's something that we would never see like any of these monsters do? Like, obviously, one of my favorites is the Wolfman exploding. I think it's a, <laughs> Yeah, that's it's totally a, cool. And coming back together. That's just a great thing, especially because, like, well, I love, um, John Landis has this quote that makes a lot of sense where it's just like, what are the rules for doing a vampire? There aren't any rules. It's fake. You can do whatever the fuck you want with a vampire because they're not real anyway. Like, I, I love that this movie kind of takes the spirit of that quote and just really runs with it. With just stuff like, oh, hey, can, um, you know, Dracula turn into a bat and have, be like a giant bat monster mid-transformation? Sure, let's do that. Let's have, um... Stuff but like, Dracula have a really good throwing arm and accurate with dynamite. Why not? 
I love that too, especially because like it's that's a, one of my favorite things about this whole movie. Well, like on a pure visual level, it's kind of badass, but then you really think about it, it's just like he probably thought the kids were in the clubhouse. Oh, Dracula he completely did. Fully set on murdering children with dynamite. Yeah, with dynamite. <laughs> well, the thing is, is Dracula. Does he need it? No, not really. He just wants to make a statement. He can't get into a clubhouse unless they invite him. So this was the next best thing. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's he just the... wait. <laughs> you know we're one draft away from I... he just gets a chainsaw and cuts down the tree and that's how he gets him or he's got one of those old school saws with no one on the other side so it's real hard <laughs> but to talk about duncan rieger real quick though yes as dracula uh i think he's one of the, he's a very very underrated dracula i don't think a lot of people give him enough credit i think he's he's uh, i mean he's completely forgotten that they're the this Dracula existed other than the fans of this movie. I think he's a fantastic Dracula, dude. I don't care if he's kind of blonde or not. I think he's really, really good. What I like about him is the fact that he feels like a natural leader versus, say, like earlier versions of Dracula. Dracula's always sort of like a lone wolf, as it were, not really. Right. Because obviously whenever these monsters did team up, it was usually them fighting each other anyway. But this guy feels like he commands and takes action. He has this poise... He feels um, sort of like a good mix of like the poise of Bela Lugosi with also a ferociousness that a lot of Dracula's don't usually have, um, especially when obviously near the climax when he does the sure. whole thing with just like, you give it back, you bitch! And then <laughs> like a little girl who he's like know, holding dude. up. <laughs> Which is and he's so a great. big dude, too. Very tall. Yeah. Like he's really tall. Like he's imposing, physically imposing as well. It's just real cool and cold and but can just go batshit crazy and chuck dynamite and just call little kids curse words <laughs> i mean this is an edgy ass dracula this dracula don't give a fuck about no rules that gets into my one significant gripe of the movie the story is somewhat i don't want to say juvenile because that sounds condescending but it's definitely a story that can skew towards younger audiences perhaps as young as like five or six and the cursing even though you guys are loving it because it makes the kids sound so uh much like kids i feel like it's alienating a bit of the younger audience to go towards like ages nine or ten at the least and the curse especially there's more than its fair share of homophobic slurs in this. And Absolutely. I get the explanation it was of the time, but I don't think the explanation is a justification. Uh, let me let me speak on that real quick, because you got to figure out, I was five when this movie came out. My parents had a problem with it, but then it wasn't as shocking. You got to figure, when this movie came out, the the general cinema at the time, I mean, it was just chock full of nudity, ultra-violence and gore, and action. So this was actually really on the tame side compared to a lot of things. Now, I loaned this movie to my brother, who has a 10-year-old, I think he was 9 at the time, and they started watching, and he shut it off, mainly because of the, the homophobic stuff in it. And I know you say it's not a justification, but... It is still a legitimate reason. The times were different then. People did say things, whether they're offensive or not, they did say them and get away with them. Um, And, I mean, you were just allowed to take in more in that time as a child. And, I mean, allowed to do more things that you would never allow your children at the age you were then to do now. It's just that's how it was. There's things in The Goonies 
that really are quite offensive and things like that, but they're still there and it doesn't change the movie. And I'm not saying you're saying that I'm just, I'm just trying to offer a counter um, counterpoint to it. Well, you know, uh, I, I I do agree with what you're sort of talking about in terms of like, I think it's important to like sort of say that like it is of very much of its time, not just in terms of aesthetics, but also some of the stuff like that. I think it's more bothersome when you have something like my least favorite thing about the movie, which is the point where you do have the uh, Rudy character, Literally, just like exploit a teenage girl's nudes. Yeah, I agree with that. That I think I that's more that, offensive to me than necessarily the language. Yeah, no, I, I can agree with that too. But again, you know, not to keep like oh, you guys don't understand. In my day, movies were free. You got to figure that. I mean, Porky's was out then, and Animal House, and all these other things. It, 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 it was done for laughs. I mean, every, it was so macho machismo at the time. Nowadays, yeah, no way that shit can fly. And I agree with you 100%. It's offensive. That's horrible. But nobody thought of it like that then. So they got away with that shit. So it doesn't bother me maybe as much as it does you guys because I saw it then when I was that young. So the shock value wasn't there for me. I think what especially bugs me about it is if not for that, like I said, not only could you show this to a five or six year old, this would be a great way to get them into old horror stuff because there's obviously with kids, there is a bit of a hurdle. Unless they want to get into something made more than a generation ago. If they got into this, they could get into Frankenstein. They could get into Dracula. They could get into the mummy. And then you could get them into newer stuff and newer stuff until eventually, like by the time they're 10 or 12, you got them into Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think that would be a this would be a very useful tool if not for that. This is gonna sound like I'm such a censor or such or somebody from a concerned parents group. If there was a cut of this movie that was a little bit lighter on stuff like that or cut out the stuff with uh, Rudy and the nudes or like when he's taking photos of the girl, then I probably would I would probably really love that so I could show it to more kids. Well- well, honestly, I wouldn't necessarily show it to really anyone younger than about age, like, eight or seven or so, just because I think that's a I good s- a- Yeah, I agree. I, I would say that's a good age where it's just like, okay, you can explain, like, certain stuff doesn't quite hold up, but at the same time, they can... It's at an age where they could, like, more understand that. Then again, I'm not a fucking child psychologist. None of us are. No, but, but- also, <laughs> you can, it's easier to explain to an eight or a ten-year-old that the monsters aren't real than it would be a five-year-old. Right, yeah, there's that, and I think also at that age they can more understand some of even like the more mature concepts that I think does work for the movie. Like I really, especially this watch, loved the whole relationship with the divorced parents going on in the background. That is such like a very grounded thing to have in the middle of this movie with like uh, Andre Gower's parents, Sean, being in the middle of what seems like a very messy divorce. Yeah, awful. Yeah, awful divorce. Especially, I didn't even notice this until later, but like the scene with dynamite. When you see uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, also of Goonies, the mom from Goonies, mm-hmm. she has bags that are being packed. She's about to leave her family. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, she's walking. Yeah, yeah, I know. She's walking. <laughs> like I never noticed that. Yeah, she was bailing. No, and you know, obviously when I was younger, I never picked up on any of that. But watching it now as adult, you know, because I mean, I really want to get divorced too. 
So watching it, it's like, oh yeah, taking notes and stuff, you know. But no, it's, <laughs> Heather um, is a f- friend of the show, a lovely woman. Don't let him say anything about this to you, Heather. You are a strong, independent woman. <laughs> like uh, Casey was even saying in the beginning, it, it it grounds it. It makes it so much more real. That you know, amidst all this chaos with these monsters and these kids shooting bows and arrows and dynamite and you know Horace, you know Wolfman's got nards. There's this family fucking just crumbling behind it. And it, it just, they don't get into it too much, but it just grounds everything in reality to where you're like, oh my God, there's Dracula with dynamite. Holy shit, she's leaving. <laughs> like, it just, it's, it's a, just a really nice balance. And I do agree with what Casey said earlier too. You know, children's horror movies, they treat the children like, you know, genuine people, not stupid kids. And I think that's also why this movie works really, really well, especially because, you know, the kids are right and nobody's listening to them. Not only are they right, but it's it puts them in real danger. Like there isn't a feeling of, eh, don't worry, they'll bounce back from that. No, Dracula has dynamite. <laughs> no, and I mean, there, there's also other stuff that like, once again, kind of puts this movie firmly in the 80s because you couldn't really have this in a modern context. But stuff like the German guy who you just see the tattoo that indicates like he had, he was in a concentration camp. It's like, oh, oh, I no. love that. It's all you need to, because you don't need to dwell on it. It's just like, he's the guy who's like, I know monsters. And then that is there. And it's just like, yeah, that's all you need. That's really fucked up. If you're too young to really be exposed to what that means, then you're just going to gloss over it. And you'll think, oh yeah, he, he got, was into, he was into Mary Shelley or something. And then with, but if you're old enough, you really carry the weight of that. It's a genius little bit of writing and directing. Can I just say that Uncle Rico's fucking transformation scene is really well done? <laughs> Uncle Rico, what? that's right. He is Uncle Rico. He's Uncle Rico, dude. I completely <laughs> forgot the Wolfman is Uncle Rico. Holy you know? shit. No, dude, his transformation's great. And I love when he's in the police station. He's trying to tell him to lock him up and shit. I thought they handled the Wolfman really well in this movie, too, where he is literally, as he's, you know, billed as, as a desperate man. Like, he does not want to be this. He does not want to do this. It is a genuine curse. I mean, because let's face it, if you got a Wolfman in a movie, your transformation scene better hold up. And I felt they did it pretty good. I mean, with the limited, obviously, it's not the American werewolf, you know, transformation scene. But in the quick shots, you get it. I thought it was done really well. It's a bit more of like the howling with the bladders and everything. Yeah, I mean, it looks painful. Yes, so I mean that's the main thing. It has to look painful. Yeah, I mean for sure. But you know what? Let's talk a bit more about some of the other kids because we've mentioned like Rudy and a few others. But uh, what what do we think of our main group of kids here? What what what, uh, do we like them? Uh, Like obviously like Sean and Patrick and all of them. Do we think they're likable, engaging kid protagonists? Yeah, I think so. Sean got on my nerves when I was a kid the same way um, Sean Aston and Goonies did. I don't know how to explain it where it's the, like, chill out, kid. You know what I mean? Like, just relax a little bit. You know, if I can calm down. I don't know why, but for some reason, the main kid in both these movies, both those movies just bothered me. Um, now, no, not so much. He, I mean, he's good. Him and his Patrick's... Uh, you know, a little back and forth that they constantly have between the two of them is really well done. They do feel like they're best friends. I really like Horace, obviously. Uh, even though he's the quintessential 80s fat kid. 
in all the movies. But they give him that one cool part, you know, you know, hey, feck it, my name is Horace, said Cox the Shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, the fat kid's name is Horace. I mean, that's like the worst name. Yeah, I think all the kids work really well together, man. Even um, David's brother, not David's brother, brother, what, isn't it Patrick's brother? Which one do you mean? The kid who like sees the, the monster? Sees mommy. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Eugene, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, he's really, he's he's cute in it. I like the bit with him where he does see the mummy and his dad comes in, you know, and he's standing in front of the, opens the closet and starts making faces, doesn't turn around to see if there is a goddamn mummy in there. Um, I thought that was really well done. I, I And all the kids did really good in this for the most part. And it's so funny that none of them from this movie went on to do anything and like half of them in the Goonies are big stars. That was what's what surprised me with this cast because I kept going like, where do I know this kid from? Where do I know this kid from? Like when Rudy oh. showed up, I legit I didn't do the math in my head to see where he how old he would be. I thought it was Corey Feldman, like young teenage years, and I thought that the, I thought that the best friend was Sean Astin, and then I was like, oh no, never mind. I don't know any of these kids. So you literally thought you were watching the Goonies. You were drunk. <laughs> you were watching <laughs> Goonies, weren't you, Casey? You were watching Goonies. You, <laughs> you caught me to talk about when the fat kid did the truffle shuffle. I really like what I will you this. I I loved when Frankenstein <laughs> said Frankenstein love Phoebe. My favorite monster in this movie was Slog. <laughs> slog. slog. If you're gonna talk about it, get it right. It's Sloth. It gets worse in my head. I- Thinking like, what was the name of the monster in the What's his name? Fez. And I was like, oh. Fez. you were just watching that '70s show. This is chaos. <laughs> it's all coming apart right in front of us. And Wilbur Valderrama probably is a monster. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, but but to get back on track here, if we can, um, I I really agree. I think the the kid dynamic works really well. I think what you're talking about with Sean Aston, it annoys me a bit more because at least like the monster squad, right? As a concept, as a club, they're going behind something, which is like to know these monsters and in this case, eventually fight them versus Goonies is like a bunch of these fucking annoying ass kids who are grouping together, trying to find quote unquote treasure. And he, at least like Andre Grauer has like a speech that at least makes more sense where there's like immediate danger versus fucking down here. It's our time is a moment I don't think holds up very well from Goonies at all. No, that, the, yeah, I mean, and not to keep getting on the Goonies, but his weird, like, dialogue with One-Eyed Willie is really odd in that movie. But um, <laughs> with the corpse of One-Eyed Willie, it's really right. strange. But, there's a, this isn't the Goonies episode. We'll do yeah. that at some point. There's a lot to discuss with that. But <laughs> Yeah, oh boy. Um, I remember, though, as a kid, even though we already kind of already talked to him, I'm thinking that Rudy was the coolest motherfucker alive. When I was a kid, when he pulls up with the bike and makes the other kid eat the candy bar. And then he's like, ah, oh, God, I forget the line, but he's doing my goddamn self. And he starts shooting the vampire. Uh, excuse kids. me. The line is, I'm part of the goddamn club, aren't I? That's a oh, great that's, line in the movie, too. I can't believe I forgot that line. But yeah, he goes out there with his bow and arrow and he's just taking down these vampire chicks. He's a badass, dude. He's kind of a badass. I mean, he's a pervert. But he is kind of a bad. He's a badass pervert. Not a lot of those. No, I, I guess hey, not. We can give him that. Small demographic. Small demographic. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very small Venn diagram. Right. He's like the one in it. But, but, but Casey, um, was there anything else is like from this first time gleaming that you wanted to mention that really stood out to you with Monster Squad? 
about the designs, I felt bad that we didn't have a little small talk about the design for the mummy because it's such a good design. <laughs> and that's it. Well, no, yeah, I agree because he looks genuinely like a shriveled up corpse. Like, that's, it's one of the few mummies that actually do that where he does genuinely look like just this isn't something that should be able to walk around and it's shambling. Um, and the actual scene where they have him come apart is actually kind of genius. It's another example of, like I said, the sort of kid logic. Like, what if the mummy was behind a car and then got caught in something with some of his <laughs> fucking um, wrappings and it just, like, unravels? I just, I love that. I love also the fact that the movie has plenty of those sort of, like, nitpicky plot hole things you could pick apart about the logic of the movie like why is the mummy in that kid's closet but also it doesn't matter because it's just fun and it just really moves along at such a clip that you don't really give a shit about asking those questions yeah and, and by the way the mummy was the most 100% underutilized in this film they could have done so much more with that character I don't know because <laughs> The Mummy is, like, definitely the weakest of sort of the Universal Monsters to me. Just because, like, in any of the Universal Monster movies, even, they, they, they just, like, like, obviously the original Boris Karloff one isn't even really a horror movie, it's so much just like a dark romantic fantasy movie. And the other ones later just kind of become the proto for, like, a zombie movie, essentially. Um, he's, he's, not, he's not genuinely that intimidating. I think they used him perfectly fine. <laughs> Honestly. I mean... Yeah, probably. I just, I guess I just probably wanted to see more of it because the design was so cool. I would say that more with Gilman, honestly, just because Gilman shows up and it's a really cool design, and he doesn't really do that much until he like starts fighting cops and then eventually gets shot by Horace. Oh, and snapping their necks, dude. Snapping their necks yeah, and fucking, cashing checks. That is true. He fucking snaps their necks pretty hardcore. Those two, and it this is pretty much the same as like what you were saying with the Universal movies. There just isn't much character to them compared to say one of my another one of my tiny little favorite bits is I like when Dracula says hello old friend to Frankenstein and there's a sense of camaraderie between Dracula and Frankenstein that's just such a great little tiny idea. Yeah, and and I also love the fact that they they sort of do a lot with like once again the sort of logic gaps also just like how come. Uh, the Gill Man is in this pond in the middle of this like random town where it just so happens that everybody else shows up too, and it's like, um, who gives a fuck? It's <laughs> just like he managed to travel to this pond by waterways. Doesn't matter. It, it takes that kind of kid logic to a really fun degree with just these characters. And I do agree there is a sense of history, even with like how Frankenstein is sort of the beleaguered one of the group and is sort of one that gets. You know, shoved around by Dracula, which makes him kind of becoming more with the kids work so well. Because like that's the stuff that really still works for me. Like the moment where he looks at the Frankenstein mask and he just kind of breaks down, like scary, and he looks at himself. I just I love all of that stuff. And then I I still honestly kind of tear up when he goes inside of the fucking vortex. It's such a dumb idea of just like Frankenstein gets sucked into a portal. But I feel so genuinely invested when that happens. Yeah, no, definitely, dude, definitely. Honestly, I wanted him to stay. I think that it would have been a really great little thing to have just Frankenstein be part of the Monster Squad. <laughs> like, in the same way in the same way, Sloth, a.k.a. Slog, wasn't Goonies. <laughs> sure, fake Goonies girl with your Sloth. <laughs> hey, I'll have you know, Fez is my favorite monster of the Universal movies. <laughs> 
I prefer Revenge of the Fez versus The Fez. I think they got it better with My Revenge. And Bride of the Fez. And to a lesser extent, Son of the Fez, but not to the same degree. So let's get into our final thoughts then on Monster Squad. Adam, you start. All right. Monster Squad was my basic gateway into horror because I was terrified of scary movies when I was a kid. They scared the shit out of me. All of them, any one of them, doesn't matter. I didn't watch them until this one came. And I rented it, and I loved it immediately. And this movie did exactly what we were talking about earlier for me. Watched this one, went right back and watched all the universal ones, and then just progressed and progressed and progressed. By the time I was 11, 12, you know, I'm watching Freddy Krueger, squish a girl that just got turned into a roach inside a giant roach trap. I mean, it, it just, this movie opened my eyes to the horror genre and to a whole different style of movie making. And for that, it, it'll always, you know, hold a special place for me. And I do think this still is a good gateway horror movie as long as you take the time to explain to your children that it did come out in, in a certain time and that things that might be said in this movie or done in this movie are not okay now. But I still think it's a great gateway movie. Casey? I mostly agree with that. I think that it should probably be viewed by kids a little bit older, and I wish that it was a little bit... It could skew a tad younger. Overall, it's still a very good movie. It's a very creative movie, and it's... Something that if you know the universal stuff very well, you're going to appreciate a lot about it. And if you don't know it at all, there's still so much there that can entertain you. I I wish I saw this when I was at the age where I would have obsessed over it. But as is, I still think it's a very good movie. And as someone who saw it, like I said, when I was just sort of outside of the age range to be like, you know, the look either up to these kids or see them as peers... I still found it to be a lot of fun. I, I think it still is a, a great, as Adam mentioned, with caveats, a pretty solid introductory sort of 80s horror movie for sort of the just-about-to-become-tween crowd of sorts. And I think there's a lot of cool creative stuff. There's genuine emotion I, I have for some of the performances in here particularly like i said tom newton's frankenstein's one of my favorites very underrated performance of that also like you mentioned a really good dracula it's a really good example of how to update sort of these classic characters while you know not necessarily losing the spirit of why they worked. some people might need to learn from that like universal themselves like we mentioned it's a it's a fun relic of its time but still has a lot of stuff that can resonate to a modern audience with certain caveats that are still there and really good for the halloween season also um shout out to my favorite bit that we didn't really mention about the gag about the army being called on by the little kid is such an amazingly ingeniously stupid gag that i find Uh so awesome (laughs) dear army please help it's so great but speaking of childish movies, uh, let's get into Ernest Scared Stupid. Do we have to? Yes, we do. Are are you certain? There's not a caveat, there's not a loophole that we can just run through and not avoid, avoid this entirely. Do you have MIAC? Then no, we can't. 
Let's get into Ernest Scared Stupid. Monstrous trolls have sprung to life. That's your hope you're from Keebler. And now, Ernest P. Worrell is springing into action. He'll try anything. I know Tai Chi Kung Fu Chowmane. And everything. Your shoes untied. To save the day. It's showtime. It's Ernest P. Worrell in a brand new movie. Ernest Scared Stupid. How about a bumper sandwich, booger lips? You know what I mean? Starts Friday, October 11th at a theater near you. Yes, so Ernest Scared Stupid um, is one in a series of Ernest films that came out in the 80s to 90s uh, that starred Jim Varney as, I think we can describe it accurately as lower rent redneck peewee. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I thought a lot about peewee's big adventure when I watched this. I mean, in terms of definitely what it's trying to achieve, for sure. Because, uh, and sure. Ernest P. Worrell, for those of you who don't remember, was initially the star of several commercials, mainly out of, like, the Tennessee area, uh, from advertising executive John Cherry created him, and Jim Varney was just a local actor in Tennessee who got this gig. It was a very profitable gig for him as a commercial slot. So Ernest became, like, sort of a national phenomenon in terms of, like initially it was smaller Tennessee commercials that were local and then kind of spread all around and then Disney decided hey this Ernest character could make a lot of cash for us so let's oh, distribute right. some movies which involved Ernest Goes to Camp and then Ernest Saves Christmas and then Ernest Scared Stupid which was the last of the ones that Disney produced before they went independent all the way until around the late 90s with Saves um, Christmas was the second one Saves Christmas was the second one, yes. God, I always get that mixed up. I always thought it's Ernest Goes to Jail. No, Ernest Goes to which Jail. Which I think was the is, fourth one. It's the one right after this, yes. Yeah, so the fourth one. <laughs> and, where, where, and where is Ernest Goes Somewhere Cheap? Oh, I, I guarantee that might be one of them. <laughs> what a surprise, me. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's some of those later ones are basically that. It's Ernest Goes Somewhere Cheap Ernest. Part 2, Africa. Right. There is actually an Ernest Goes to Africa. And it's a yes, terrible. Yes, it's, oh, it's awful. I, I can imagine. I imagine that movie has no uncomfortable racial stuff in it at, no, not all. at all. Not at all. Does he record You Can Call Me Al while in Africa? I wish. Uh, yes, this is the uh, third Ernest movie and one that a lot of people sort of gravitate towards. Like this and Saves Christmas are sort of the ones that people who are, have nostalgic feelings for Ernest gravitate toward. And I think the tragedy of Ernest mm. is really that Jim Varney's a very talented actor, kind of stuck in a box. Because he's brimming with energy and talent and a lot of excitement. I think he's a very underrated actor of his time, very funny when he is able to be. There are points in this movie where I would say he is, but it's definitely sort of like a box that he constantly tries to like maneuver with. And I think more than not achieves like at least some funny moments in this movie. I agree. I, I really see. I really liked Ernest Goes to Camp when I was a kid. In fact, I still think there's some funny stuff to Ernest Goes to Camp because it wasn't so. I mean, it was over the top, but he only played Ernest. He didn't play five different characters in it. It was just Ernest. And that was during the time, you know, all those kids in camp movies were coming out. But, um, fuck. <laughs> like,. Oh, my God. I really do like Jim Varney. I think his voice acting was fantastic. I think when he'd show up in cameo roles and a couple things, he was really funny. But, man, were these movies bad. (laughs) As bad as Jim Varney is in this, fucking Eartha Kitt. 
Oh my god, man. I found Eartha Kit kind of fun. Yeah, just, and, likewise. But I always remember Eartha Kit, you know, she's got that stigma with me because that's not Catwoman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because when I was a kid, I used to watch the reruns of the original Batman show and I never liked her Catwoman. So I'm about well, to show an age gap here. My first thought when I heard her voice was, is that Madame Cerrone? Absolutely it is. And she, <laughs> that dude, to me, that's my favorite Eartha Kit role. Yeah, this movie and to a lesser degree holes, but especially this made me realize that we really misused Eartha Kit and she deserves so much better from us as a society. We should probably, if we ever invent time travel, don't worry about stopping Hitler. Let's give Eartha Kit a better career. No, we really misuse Jim Varney. That too. We Why not Jim both? <laughs> well, I guess if we we got a time machine, I guess we could do whatever the fuck we want. That, that's but, a good point. <laughs> but no, Jim, Jim Varney was just so underutilized and so misused. And he could have been, honestly, I think he could have been not necessarily as high the echelon as, say, like a Bill Murray, but right underneath him. Well, he's a very committed actor, especially because he's actually Shakespearean trained. Like, there is footage of him performing Shakespeare, and he's actually quite good at it. He just has a bit of a Kentucky twang to him. Um, right. I, I really want to hear, because I know, Casey, this was your first exposure to Ernest, correct? Yep. I, I found myself thinking at a point, I could be watching Troll 1 right now. <laughs> Imagine how low the bar has to be. Oh, to be wishing God. you were watching Troll 1. Not even Troll 2, but Troll 1. Yeah, which, hot take, I do like Troll 1, don't at me. Is Troll but... 1 with, like, weird, naked Julia Louis-Dreyfus out of nowhere? And Sonny Bono becomes a weird plant yeah. monster, yes. <laughs> and he's fucking insane. It's my seventh favorite Harry Potter movie, thank you very much. <laughs> That's right, the but... kid's called Harry Potter. <laughs> it's the best movie where Harry Potter fights a troll. But uh, either way. But anyway, Casey, first exposure to Ernest. First exposure to Ernest, and honestly, when the credits started started to roll, and it's all those homages to old B-movies, but still in their own style, I I was kind of into it. And Ernest was reacting. It's like, okay, he's a little over the top, but not bad. There was a tiny little bit where I thought, am I going to be the contrarian and think that this is better than Monster Squad? And then the movie started. And then it was just Jim Varney giving his A game, but still overdoing it. And I found Ernest to be insufferable. The script wasn't about him trying to make a kid laugh. Because on those stuff, it's like, okay, you're overdoing it a little, but the in-universe kids are having a good time. I'm okay with this. When he's just being silly for the sake of being silly without an audience around, I just rolled my eyes and waited for the scene to be over. The closest analogy I can think of is imagine watching Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but you don't like Pee-wee. Because there's still a lot of stuff you might dig, but fuck, you're going to hate the main thing. Ah, man, I I don't know that I can agree with that. Because even without Pee-wee, at least Pee-wee's Big Adventure had a bunch of fun side characters and the weird Tim Burton-esque colors and sets. This has nothing. <laughs> no, see, this I, is just... that's where I definitely diverge, where I will say I think the movie is honestly works for me the best when it is sort of Eartha Kit and Jim Varney having fun with the limited amount of work they're given. 
they I think they do a lot with it. I think especially the scenes where they're together. Like there's the whole scene where Eartha Kid talks about like the prophecy or whatever the fuck it is, and she talks about like the heart of a child, a child. <laughs> that I was I I, I kind of love bits like that. It is more just I agree. I think the side characters and a lot more of the stuff with like you know John Cherry's direction. John Cherry directed all these earnest movies. I think that's where it really falls more for me because these side characters are completely underwhelming. Even the kids are just like barely entities at all um mm-hmm. and there's and the, the annoying two, yeah and and there's the two guys who appear in a bunch of earnest movies where it's it's the the guys who run the hardware shop here the fat guy and the super skinny guy mm-hmm. they're in a bunch of earnest movies and they're always like the least funny thing about any of them and the weird comedic relief to the comedy which is like a hat and a hat and it never works anytime they fucking show up in those movies and like the parent characters the only other solace I kind of found was the Chioda brothers did the effects work, and I think the troll effects are at least, like, fun. Even, like, especially the big, the main one, the sort of practical, actual, like, animatronic head, I think is a cool effect for a super low-fucking-budget movie like this is. It's just at least something to kind of gravitate toward when it's not Jim Varney or Earth the Kid actually getting a chance to do what they can with it. Yeah, I'll agree with that. That, that troll was legit scary when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, for real, that troll creeped me the hell out, man. Just with his big, shitty nose. And when he started growing all the like, the appendages out of him and everything. I mean, he did. He creeped me out. Because it is still a pretty well-done costume. Especially for the time, and I would imagine the low budget. But, fuck. That's like picking a peanut out of a big pile of shit. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's just this fucking movie i you know this was one that i remember seeing as even a, a youngin and going what it's why i would say i think the best earnest movie that kind of does the better balance of just like actually decent side characters the best use of jim varney all this other stuff is saves christmas i can agree with that I think Saves Christmas, it actually I think still holds up as like a minor, minor Christmas classic, quote unquote. Uh, I use that with the heaviest quotation marks, more like it's a fun okay. Christmas special if it's like on the 25 days of Christmas or whatever. Okay, like I'll ABC give you that. Does. It's one that I'll I wouldn't give. necessarily turn the channel from if it was on TV. It's a, it's a fun Christmas movie for what it is, and I think it has the better sort of balance of all these characters, for me personally. But Casey had no basis for that, and Casey, I'm sure, was just completely miserable this entire time i wasn't miserable the whole time this movie is better than i thought it was in that i thought it would be atrocious and it was simply bad (laughs) faint praise right around the time i was thinking i could be seeing troll one right now i was thinking how the fuck are there still 20 minutes left of this movie it's super overstates it's welcome it would have really worked better as sort of like an hour-long special i think would have been perfectly fine as an hour-long special, but it's, like, around the time of, like, right after there's this whole joke of Ernest can't seem to understand the idea that the weakness, despite how many obvious things there are about it, is milk. He puts, goes for, what was it, Bulgarian Miak. Yeah, what's up? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I at least found the commitment to that incredibly stupid joke entertaining, um, but... Yeah, the fact that he's able to find Miak in the middle of the night somewhere in Tennessee... Props to you, Ernest. Well, so this that's movie's what... all about how you're dumb. You're able to do that. I don't think I could do that. Well, that's kind of like the most endearing thing about the Ernest character is he's very committed and very durable about very stupid things. 
I think it's I, honestly, I think I liked it definitely both more than both of you guys. Which it is a movie I grew up with. It isn't one I haven't seen in a while, and I do agree it is a bad movie. But I think it's honestly completely harmless. I think we've seen such worse stuff for the show by comparison. Oh, I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, like, yeah, dude. Like this is like an Oscar winner connects next to you know that fucking Belushi movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <It's, laughs> I think it does help also that in doing research for the show, I went down a rabbit hole of the attempts John Cherry has had to com- continue earnest after Jim Barney's death and more of a righteous anger against John Cherry. Like I showed Casey one of these. They did a bunch of like animated commercials with Ernest in them voiced by somebody else. And it feels like somebody's spitting on their friend's grave. It's genuinely some of the worst fucking bullshit I've ever seen. It's it's like it's like Ugh. imagine Son of the Pink Panther, but you did a series of short segments and put them on television for it. It's oh no, it's so bad. Oh god, I didn't even know about that. Oof. Whatever charm is there, it's all out of Arnie, and none of it is all comes from anything else out of the movie. It it feels just like he's holding it up by himself, especially when he does. The different characters. We haven't talked about all the different characters that show up as Ernest, including one thing where he's in, he has the Mongolian makeup on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's weird, which is <laughs> like, is this racist or just stupid? I can't tell. <laughs> a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, I think. <laughs> I think a bit of both, yeah. But, but yeah, did any of those characters in Dear You, Casey, were you just completely confused when that happened? I was confused i was wondering if it was an earnest bit that i just wasn't in the know on i found none of them funny except kind of the lumberjack he was talking about he's a lumberjack and he's never gotten any work in his country i found that a little bit funny and then everything else i hated that was the moment i started getting pissed off no because before that all the stuff that Ernest is doing with the exception of the dump truck bit is he's being being silly in front of kids and you can go like, oh, it's there to make them laugh. Or like, okay, he's building a treehouse. It's a silly treehouse, but it's kind of cool. If you were a kid, you would be totally on board with this. And then that was the moment. It's like, okay, this is bad, and it's not funny. And is it in-universe? Is it out-of-universe? The exact opposite of Monster Squad, where it's all these logic gaps, but the movie isn't entertaining enough to justify them at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, this fucking movie. Yeah, it's a movie. I guess that clearly shows that we're running out of steam on the scared stupid. To your credit, like you said, it's harmless. This movie, despite how I said it, it was pissing me off, it didn't make me angry overall. It doesn't deserve Jim Varney, but it's not filled with rage like, you know, a Freeberg and Seltzer movie is. Well, well I guess keep keep going a bit yeah, more. Yeah, I guess final the thoughts. final thoughts, yeah. I do not like this movie. It doesn't make me mad, but I do not like it. I like it more than Ernest gets into taxidermy, but less than Ernest sees a second shooter on the grassy knoll. <laughs> Underrated yeah. Ernest movies, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> Back the dude left, you know what I mean? They they pitched that to Disney, and they're like, I think we're going to stop after Scared Stupid, guys. I don't know if this works. No one appreciated the genius of John Cherry's conspiracy theory-laden Ernest movies. Uh, but, uh, Adam, yourself? Uh, well, personally, my favorite is Ernest and the Bay of Pigs. But no, th- this isn't a good movie, man. I, 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 kids would like this movie. I think honestly, I do think this is would be a good gateway movie for a lot of kids because of Jim Varney, because how 
you know, goofy and crazy is. But really, when you walk away, it, other than Jim Varney and you guys say Eartha Kitt, there's nothing in this movie, man. The kids are so bad and unrelatable. You don't give a shit about these kids. To think what could have been with Jim Varney. And yeah, this is, you know, one of the shining examples of what we did get. It's just bad. It's just pure bad. You know what? No, this, this is just shit. It's pure <laughs> shit. I'm glad at least more people acknowledge his work as Slinky Doc. I think that's one more people would recognize oh, and a way better so use of him. Good. Yeah. Yes. Godly Bob Allen. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm the lone sort of defender to a certain extent of Burn the Scared Stupid. I don't want to be the guy to die on this hill. And I'm not quite dying. I'm getting like a I'm yeah, getting a small bruise on this one. In as much mm-hmm. as like I think it's fine. I think it's completely harmless. I think there's some cool effects work, like we mentioned with the Shioda Brothers stuff. I think Eartha Kit and Jim Varney are having fun, and sometimes that fun is infectious, sometimes it isn't, especially when he does the characters. I think that's more grating than anything else. But yeah, all the stuff around them, they're definitely, those three elements are not deserved for what was very much like a very bland, straight-to-video quality production, and a lot of the, like, kid performances. Why, like I said, if you want a decent Ernest movie, go see Ernest Saves Christmas. That's the the good one, I'd say. Ernest Goes to Camp. Ernest Goes to Camp. That one isn't terrible either. I mean, it's, it's don't just stop after Ernest saves Christmas. You're you're fine. Yes, I agree. Stop Think after the dog, Mister Ernest, goes to Washington. People have certain inalienable rights. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ernest and the Eleven Angry Men, <laughs> and Jim Varney is all eleven of the angry mothers. <laughs> okay. Oh, this, this is out of control. It's completely out of control. So let's uh, segue into our feedback section. We asked all of you out there, what are your favorite kid horror movies? Um, and we have a few people responding. Uh, Mike Hatfield said, Monster Squad. Show for you. Um, Hunter Ellen said, Hocus Pocus is a kick-ass classic. Uh, if you had Disney Channel, there's Halloween Town. And of course, The Amber Before Christmas. Oh, and Elvira and all the Adams Family movies and the Scooby-Doo movies. Lol. I also used to really like the live-action Casper. Halloween is lit. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, some of those, I, especially the Adams Family movies, I think uh, deserve more. I'll, I'll give Hocus Pocus. Yeah, but no, I agree with the Adams Family movies. In fact, I never even thought of those. That that would be a good one. I like those movies. The bit with Wednesday Adams and the Thanksgiving play yes, is one of the, the best. best. It's Happy Turkey Day. <laughs> Eat me. <laughs> Especially when I realized the other girl involved in that is Harmony from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, it is. Yep. Don Chambos says this, not a film, but the series Are You Afraid of the Dark was good. I loved her and scared stupid a whole lot. Well, Dan, <laughs> sorry. I'm glad you got entertainment. Um, I never got into Are You Afraid of the Dark so much, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember it, but it never really got to me. But I'd also like to throw in there something I didn't think of. I mean... It's media-ish, but, dude, I mean, scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. That's a great gateway. I never even heard of that. The books? The book series? Full disclosure, I'm illiterate, but no, I've never heard of that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude, yeah, those fucking scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, too. Those are like goosebumps amped up. 
yeah, I think they, they really work, especially the illustrations are also phenomenal um, in those. I remember that was an example where, like, I read those after I read Goosebumps, because Goosebumps was very much like a gateway horror book series for me. And then I graduated to Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and it did genuinely terrify the shit out of me. Because <laughs> Goosebumps mm-hmm. is just like, whatever. It's just like, oh, it's kind of spooky. And then Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is, will fuck you up. There's a monster in your cornfield that's trying to rip your face off. Yep. Like, Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a cornfield and I'm scared. <laughs> but I will say, with Are You Afraid of the Dark, I remember having... It was one of those series where I remember being very terrified by it as a little kid. There were certain ones... There's ne- there one episode where a kid goes into a swimming pool and there's a monster in there. And I remember it was one of those where it was post-having seen Jaws. And I'm like, well, at least in like a swimming pool, I can't get attacked by something. And then that happened, and I was terrified. But then, Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But then... I went back to it when I remember I was the thing about like 13, 14 or so. And I'm like, Oh, this is fucking dumb. <laughs> it, it's, it's not a series that holds up very well to scrutiny. Not as much as say like a tales from the dark side or tales from the crypt. I think those are also good for like, if you're near like tween near teenage, those are good ones for sort of. Yeah. I could, I could see too. tales from the crypt for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Oliver Sloan says monster squad and mad monster party. Which, um, yeah, we haven't we didn't talk about Mad Monster Party, but that's like a it, that's a fun one. That's the Rankin Bass Halloween mm-hmm. film, actually theatrical released film, not a special. Um, it's got Boris Karloff as the Doctor Frankenstein and a bunch of like fun plays and all the other different Universal monster There's types, puppets and stuff. Yeah, that's a fun one. Sure, if you're having a Halloween party, that's a great one to have on in the background. Oh, yeah, that would be good call on that. Yeah, that's yes. that's a good one. Yeah. And also, Oliver had this to say from our previous episode about zombies. Pontypool is so much better than expected. Starts a bit slow, but definitely keeps you connected. And I especially wanted to bring this up because, Casey, I remember we talked about this off mic. You aren't a fan of Pontypool, are you? Oh, fuck. I'm going to have to defend this. <laughs> no. Fucking egg, right you are. It's not awful or anything. I might have oversold it when I said I don't like it. I'm more nothing it than anything else. I go like, okay, that's fine. I barely remember it. It's only been a year since I've seen it. And, like, I was listening to the episode you guys did just before we started recording. And I was going, like, oh, yeah, that is how they transmitted the virus. Yeah, I forgot com- I forgot all about that. Like, yeah, I, can't, just, I can't be mad at you for that. I'll yeah, give you that. Yeah, it does not stick with me at all except for that stinger. And that stinger isn't a particularly good stinger. It's just so weird that sticks in my mind. Yeah, uh, go listen to our Pontypool episode to show just how wrong Casey is. Uh, yes. next... <laughs> you are probably you are probably correct, and I am probably wrong, but I will stand by this. All right, our next feedback from Brian Kane uh, says, The Twilight Zone is great kid-friendly horror. It was terrific at setting up situations that had horrifying implications, usually due to a character's own immorality or arrogance. I didn't even think about that until he submitted that, and that's actually very accurate. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure it was designed to be kid-friendly horror, but between the standards of what you were allowed to show on television in the 50s and where we are as a society now, yeah, I would show I would show Kid Twilight Zone. Some of them, at least. I think, like, I think To Serve Man would be too scary. Perhaps. But, I mean, I remember as a kid, like, I watched a lot of those Twilight Zone marathons. Like, my dad got me on that. And after, you know, get through that hurdle when you're five of like, why is everything not in color? Then I actually still was genuinely just shocked by so many of those reveals. Particularly, I still remember vividly watching the eye of the beholder one as a kid. 
and having my mind fucking blown out of my face. It was... That was a principal moment for me in terms of, like, how great a twist can be at a very young age. Would you you agree with all this, Adam? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember the, uh, you know, there's something on the wing scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, man. Um, That No, like the the part where Shatner pulls open the window block. Yeah, and it's pressed against it. Yeah, that scared the shit out of me. Twilight Zone, that's actually a really good call. I never thought of that either. Um, also, I wanted to give a shout-out. He added this to our last episode, too, in reference to Diary of the Dead. I hope you added music in order to s- try and scare us. Oh, you fucking... You just <laughs> had to go there, did you? <laughs> oh, Diary of the Dead. Um, but And then uh, Stephen D. at WaitingFTH on Twitter says, uh, When I was a kid, it was The Thing from Another World, Corman's Little Shop of Horrors, and the old Doctor Who, and the great book of movie monsters that got me into horror i remember the posters for the elephant man and halloween keeping me out of video stores for years um and i remember of course we're sort of like the last vestiges of that age of being scared by the horror section of the video store like i, I still remember the one for me was the jack frost holographic cover the one that like yes. actually like, turns into yeah, yeah, terrifying yeah. snowman terrifying mean, that's another great example where like i was so scared to watch it and then as a teenager, I watched Jack Frost. I'm like, oh, this is just fucking terrible. <laughs> you watch it, you go, Michael Keaton's okay, I guess. But I don't like anything else. No, not that Jack Frost. <laughs> that one's pretty terrifying, too, though. That, that's, that's pretty bad. horrific. Snow Dad's better than No Dad. I, uh, Jesus. I, uh, the one that got me for some reason was the awful Rumpelstiltskin movie. Oh, so, right. The horror the cover creeped movie, me yeah. the fuck out for some yeah. reason. That and the Robert England Phantom of the Opera creeped me out too. The cover because the gore on the face and you know the the, the makeup or whatever it just it got me. Don't but. you just miss the shyster movie of video store yes. era of just yes. like oh man this cover's so great and then you watch the movie and you're incredibly disappointed. <laughs> I miss yeah, that. I mean <laughs> the thing, you don't have that anymore with streaming no. because you could just shut it off. Where if you rented it, you paid that three dollars. You're gonna watch that fucking movie. Like, even if it's terrible, you're watching it. Um, and then also, he um, submitted this on Twitter, but it was right after we recorded our episode about zombies, where he says his favorite zombie mm-hmm. movies, which are, um, favorite zombie movies are Romero's first trilogy, the Dawn of the Dead remake, Shaun of the Dead, Plague of Zombies, and the Blind Dead series. We'll happily watch pretty much anything from the 70s, though. Least favorites are anything with David in the title that wasn't made in 1985. Yeah, yeah. he's 100% correct. We didn't really talk about that. Uh, yeah, because there's three of them. You know that. Yep. There are, there's there Day of the Dead 2, Contagium. Right. Which was horrible. There's Day of the Dead, and then Day of the Dead, I think it's Bloodlines, isn't it? The right, it's the, it's the modern one. And they're all from like the same production company, too. They just mm-hmm. got the rights to that name and just used the fuck out yep. of it. You know, I didn't talk about this last time, but honestly, the only Romero movie I would like to see remade is Land of the Dead. Like, that's the one where it's got the cool ideas and it didn't quite get it right. Like, that's the perfect yeah. one to remake. Yeah. I think Survival of the Dead, if remade with a bigger budget, can be good. Yeah. I think it's got a really good, strong core idea there. For sure. Uh, what about Casey? Are there any zombie movies that are favorites of yours? Can I say the first two episodes of Walking Dead? Absolutely, you can. Because those are the... That was the first thing that came to mind. Like, the pilot of The Walking Dead is just a great little zombie movie in its own right. No, yeah. And beyond that, uh, Last Temptation of Christ, obvious one. Uh, (laughs) Right. And uh, 
I'm almost tempted to put Hellraiser in there, even though it doesn't really count. But if no, it, it did, I if it did, I would definitely count that as a zombie movie or my one of my favorites. Yeah, Hellraiser is awesome, but I don't think it's a zombie movie. It has an undead person in it, but I don't know. Then again, I, 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 an undead person is decaying flesh. But he's well, coming but, back to life. Well, that's true. He's more of a reverse zombie, actually, when you yeah. think about it. <laughs> so we say, Isos! I guess. Is that how you would say <laughs> yeah, it? Is, I, I don't know if I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> emos? Yeah, Emos. He's an Emos. emos. He's an Emos. <laughs> I hate these he's Emos. Emo. So. He's Emo. He's a third listed Coheed. Uh, okay, we gotta end this fucking episode. So, uh, okay. thanks to Chris Oliver for the music use in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for her art. She accepts commissions at fiverrwith2rs.com slash eescarda. And of course, we want to thank Casey, our guest. Casey, you have anything to plug? Uh, my Twitter at thecaser, T-H-E underscore K-A-C-E-R. And my other Twitter, Ernest Movies Ranked, where I rank all the Ernest movies such as Ernest Gets Into Radiohead or Simon and Ernest and Garfunkel or Ernest Commits Insurance Fraud. Ernest Shoots an Unarmed Black Teen. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the, the really dark one. I think that's when the series kind of yeah. lost its way. Yeah, I think for too. sure. This Twitter was evidently inspired by us assigning Casey Ernest Scared Stupid. I think it's the best achievement we've ever had. Um, and then, of course, we also are on Twitter at DEDBpod um, and also on Facebook. That's our Facebook page as well. Um, you can find us there, and that's where we ask the questions about what's your favorite blanks before we record our episodes. So you can definitely contribute yours there if you so wish, and also by email at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. We also have individual Twitter accounts. I'm at not the who's Tommy, and Adam does nothing at what Twitter handle? <laughs> Malekithfan6969. Yep. It's it's mostly there as like a museum piece at this point. Yeah. It's preserved in time. <laughs> Um, and of course, subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review us to give the show more visibility. Do that, please. So we just get more visibility yeah. and more people listen to great content like this that you just listened to. And by the way, the questions always come out on Mondays. Yes. So get in on that on Mondays and answer. And we typically will share them on our individual accounts as well. Yes. So the more feedback, the better. Yes, of course. And on that note, we've got to go back into our club, guys, because we're part of the goddamn club, aren't we? Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> good good night, everybody. Uh, yeah, Thomas, real quick, off off um, mic or off record. I'm looking at his IMDb right now because I was literally trying to see some of the titles. According to this, Ernest Goes to Jail was before Ernest Scared Stupid. Oh. Okay, I mean, I'm so it goes to Ernest Goes to Camp, Saves Christmas, Goes to Jail, and then Scared Stupid. Okay. Which is weird. I'm just letting you know. I, I think you're right because obviously you got those facts from somewhere, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, goes I, to I, I don't. I really don't give a shit. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'll cut that out. I don't give a shit. Fair enough. Uh. <laughs>